got it. Good. Okay. Glad you're here. Uh, before, before you get all settled with your program and stuff, I want you to do a little something. All right? Can you put it on your lap or whatever? And we'll get back. I want you to fold your arms. Just fold your arms like you know it. Just fold your arms like this. How do you know it? All right? Now put your arm down. Now fold them the other way. Was it a little bit strange to you? You know, there's a certain way you always fold your arms, isn't it? I mean, we, get, we are creatures of habit. We just do it a certain way. And then when you try to do it some different way, it kind of throws you a little bit. Maybe some of you didn't throw you, but some of you, I know you're going to look around. You know, it kind of throws you because you're used to doing it one way. Well, our minds are that way. Our lives are that way. We are creatures. We get used to doing something a certain way, and we just do it automatically. Well, our goal, when we look at the Scripture today, is when we look at, look at some things about love. And I pray that God will make love. Loving others, making the choice of love, a habit of our lives. We're talking about some habits. We look at a passage of Scripture that I think is one of the best passages of Scripture uh, on the topic of love. Uh, we talk about 1 Corinthians 13. We're studying our groups uh, during the week. We've been studying that with Rick Warren on the videos. But uh, there's another passage in the Scripture. It's also a love chapter. It's the second part of the book of, uh, of Romans, uh, chapter 12. And it starts out with a phrase. It says, let lo- you know, love with sincerity. Uh, love must be sincere. Love without hypocrisy. And then what happens in this passage is really interesting because that phrase is, carries all the stuff that's behind it. So like that's the overall phrase, and grammatically, then all the phrase, things that he says to do afterwards, kind of modifies and goes back to how we are to love in an unhypocritical kind of way, to love sincerely. And so we're going to be looking at that. We want to see this become a habit of our lives, is to become loving and have a loving heart. We're going to read this passage, look through it, and think about how all these phrases, all these things he tells us to do, relate back to love. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Now let's think for a minute, how do we love without hypocrisy? Sincerely. How do we love without... That word uh, in the original language, the word that uh, is translated sincere, is the word hypocrisy. It's a word going back to the Greek that means... uh, being a hypocrite. What it was, a hypocrite was somebody who kind of put on a mask. They did it in the plays back in those days, and they put on a mask. They could have covered themselves up. So what a hypocrite was is somebody who hides. And uh, it's actually something that we all do to a certain extent, and we all have to learn to not hide. I mean, it's not like uh, there's some, some are hypocrites and the rest, all the rest of us. It's like we all have a, a tendency. But we tend to want to stay safe in our relationships. We want it because of fear we tend to hide behind things. Psychology calls it defense mechanisms and things. But we're to love without putting on a mask. We are to love without hypocrisy. It's going to talk about some things here and how we do that. If you live behind a mask, if you in fear kind of cover yourself up, then that's going to hinder your walk with God because God only works and heals a life that's really open and honest to him. I'm reading the Psalms right now, and through the Psalms, David went through a lot of ups and downs, if you know. And in the Psalm, he just ex- honestly expresses, God, where are you? God, what's going on in my life? What's going on? Why do I feel this way? I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. He just, he lays out his heart. 
before God. He's honest before God. He's, and when you're honest before God and honest with yourself, then God can provide healing in your life. But if you just don't face it, you just kind of keep it all, everything's just fine. You're always putting on the face for everybody. Then you, you, you hinder your relationship with God. It hinders your relationship with people. If you're putting on a front, then we're relating to your front. We're not relating to you. We're relating to what you're putting out there. And I'm not, I'm not saying in qualification, I'm not telling you you're supposed to be open and say everything to everybody. And I'm not talking about that. But I'm just talking being real and open and honest with people as you go through life. And learning to take off the mask, learning to trust because it's a risky thing to take off the mask, to show who you really are. Because if you take off your mask and you show who you really are inside to somebody else, they might reject you. And there's a real possibility. Some people in this life do reject people. All right? And so you take off your mask. You show your real self what's really inside. And you start to get rejected. And that hurts. And so we don't want to do it. We learn not to do it because we've been around people who rejected us in our lives. But I want you to know that God loves you, and even if you do open up, even if you get rejected, God will never reject you. He loves you. He can sustain you. He can do things in your life that you can even face, the persecution and the negativity uh, of other people. So God can help you in that. And if you don't do it, if you don't do it, you just miss out on so much with God. You miss out on so much with each other in relationships. So you've got to take the risk. And it's not easy. We're in a life that is not easy, but it's real when we learn to love without hypocrisy. Now, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to summarize these verses uh, in four different ways, four little ways that we can love without hypocrisy. The first one is to love with moral integrity. Remember the verse said, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Sounds like some morality there, doesn't it? But love with moral integrity. What's that saying? Clean up your act. You know, if you're ripping people off in your life, if you're cheating them, stop it. All right? That'll help you not want to hide. If you're in an adulterous affair, cut it off. I mean, if you, if you don't, if you, you're hiding, if you're doing things that are wrong, you're going to be constantly hiding, putting it behind, and not really relating and connecting. The righteous, the Bible says, are as bold as a lion. When you know things are right, when you're living right, you're doing, there's just there's the integrity in that. So what I'm talking about on this one is just good, old-fashioned morality, integrity, honesty, and that's the starting place of love. That relates to love. Because when you're loving someone, when you're being moral and honest, think about it for a second. Think about something like um, a, a lie. You know, it says hate what is evil. The word evil basically means hate what hurts. Hate what hurts you. Evil is what hurts. The, en- the enemy, Satan, is called the evil one. He came with a, a expressed purpose. Purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to hurt. He wants to... Uh, uh, do things in our lives that are, uh, and he wants to do things through our lives to hurt others. So it, when it says, um, hate what is evil and do what is good, we're talking about moral integrity. Let's, let's take an example of a lie. When you tell a lie to somebody, maybe it's just a little bit of error, and then it's found out, what does that do to your relationship? It steals something, right, from your relationship. It destroys something. It, it sort of does something that hurts your relationship. You've been something stolen, something been taken away, something been destroyed. Trust has been hurt. So every time you tell a lie, you're you're doing something. You're, you're doing something evil because it hurts. It hurts you. It hurts the relationship. It hurts God. You grieve God. And that's just one example. There's lots of things that we do that are uh, morally that can mess us up. Now, 
that's for us. We're to hate evil in our own lives. We're to turn away from those things that hurt us, and we're to turn away from things that we do that hurt others. That's not what God wants to operate. And as we're doing that, that's an unhypocritical kind of love. That's a sincere type of love. But, you know, we're also, as Christians, we are to hate evil. We're not to hate people. We're to love everybody. But we'll hate evil that's in the world also. We hate people, not people. We hate the things that people do that hurt other people. I mean, there's, there's things happening in our country. There's things happening in countries around the world where, where they're abducting children and making them into soldiers. They're abducting children and making them into sex slaves. I mean, those things are evil. There are people in the world that are predators, that want to hurt us, that want to hurt others. Because they're bigger, because they're stronger, because they can do it. Out of selfish motives, they do stuff. We, as Christians, are to stand against that. We are to, to, to work and to protect the innocent. Jesus did that uh, when, in John chapter 2 when the people in the temple were getting ripped off. He went in there with, the, with his whip. <laughs> the loving thing to do was sort of to reprove them and to clean up the act so people are not getting ripped off there in the temple, not being sold a bill of goods and whatever. Uh, we see Job. Uh, I love uh, Job. He talks about at the height of his life when things were really going really well and things were happening with his life. In chapter 29, he says one of the things he did, he lists a list of all these things that he was doing that were good things. One thing that he did, he said that, that he broke the jaw of the wicked and took away the prey from its mouth. I mean, there are people are out there. There are predators. They're hurting others. And we are to be the type of people who who work against the evil in our world in various kinds of ways. I, I was watching a, a video uh, last night, uh, kind of preparing. I thought I was going to have a little clip for you today, but I didn't, I, I didn't want to do the clip. I just couldn't find two minutes that really fit. But it's called Indoctrinate You. And if any of you ever heard of it, you can find it on the Internet. You can, you can, you can get it. It was on a PBS channel. And uh, it's talking about kind of what's happening on our college campuses today and what is being put into the minds of the students. And uh, it is, there's an indoctrination process that actually is going counter to many of our Christian values. And it's happening to our children. We're sending them, sending them to college and things. And we need to prepare them. We need to fight against those kind of things in various kinds of ways and uh, help people not to be victimized into hurt. And it's a loving thing to do to stop evil. And that's the theme of a lot of movies, isn't it? When somebody's doing something and hurting somebody else, I mean, you look at Braveheart. Some of my favorite movies, you know, Braveheart or, uh, uh, pa- you know, uh, Patriot Games. Remember Patriot Games, that movie? Uh, I, I was flipping through the channels and watched a little bit of it the other night. And it, it's, it's, uh, it's a movie, Harrison Ford, and, and he's in this movie. And what, he, what he's doing on the thing is that he found out that some guys were being left in, I think it was Vietnam. I think it was in Vietnam. They were left behind and they are left to be to be killed by the government and stuff like that. And this one guy knew about it. And Harrison found out about it and was talking to him. And the guy says, oh, oh, Harrison, you're just so black and white. And he says, no, with anger in his mouth. No, I'm, this is right and wrong. This is, this, is, this is evil what's going on here. We need to stop this. And they went in and he went through. And just in that righteous anger, went back and rescued the guys. A great movie. Uh, rescued the guys, brought them out, and, and, and uh, brought freedom to some guys that had been really ripped off because of selfishness in the minds of some, of some top leaders who did some things that were not right. It's a movie. Just a movie, but that's a theme all through that. But we as Christians sometimes get the mistaken idea that being a Christian means that you're just always nice to everybody no matter what they're doing. 
And that's just not the case. There's sometimes you need to confront somebody. Somebody's hurting somebody, and you can do something about it. You need to sometimes step in there. That's the loving thing to do. Now, we are to be kind. We're to do good. We're to, well, all those kind of things. But sometimes we take that to an extreme, and we become wimpy. And that's not what God wants. He loves people. He wants to work in people's lives, and he wants to work through us to help others. So, hate what is evil. Love the people, but hate what they're doing, and sometimes you need to step in and protect people. Sometimes we need to protect as a country, protect our community, protect our family. Somebody comes in to do evil in your home, dads, I hope you'll protect your family. You know, and I just don't, I just think that, you know, that's just right. It's not pious, I'm just going to sit back and pray and let them go do whatever they want to my family. Forget it. That's not the scripture. That's not what the, what the Bible's talking about. For that. So, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Cleave to it. Get married to it. Get married to what is good. What is right? What is the best thing to do? Cling to what is good. Now, ask a question. Well, what is good? How do you define what good is? Who defines it for you? How do you come up with what is good? You know, this is the fundamental issue of life. What is good and what is not good? And the fundamental thing that, that the first human beings did is they decided they want to do, wanted to decide for themselves what was good and evil. Remember that tree? The knowledge of what? Good and evil. I want, God, you've told me what's good and evil, but I know, eh, okay, what you're saying over there, but I want to decide for myself. I want to, know my, I want to make my own decision about what's good and evil. And so they ate off the tree, and it was a basic thing, and we have done that ever since. But what defines it? God defines it. And what, do you, what if you come to a place, you think something is good, you feel like it's good, it makes sense to you, you think it's good, but God's word says it's not. Who defines good for you? And what do you do about that? Do you let God change your mind? Do you repent and line up with Scripture? Or do you just kind of keep on doing what makes sense to you? What you habitually do? What you always do? Or do you intentionally work with yourself and work with your own heart and mind to get it lined up with God's Word? To repent, to change your thinking, and to change your behavior, to line up with what God wants. Cling to what is good. And let God define what that good is in your life. A second thing we need to do is we need to, to love without hypocrisy is to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. There's two words for love in this passage. The first one is agape. That's that, we talked about that a little bit. That's the unconditional love that God has for everybody and just uh, complete. And then under the big broad category of agape love, of God's kind of love, in spite of love, that not, there's also a way that we're to love our brothers and sisters in Christ with brotherly love. We are to take a, a, a special concern and special close relationship with some people that God brings us together with. The scripture says in Galatians 6, you might jot that down if you're taking notes in Galatians 6, you look at it, it says, the Bible tells us, do good to all men. We're to do good. We're to want the best for people. We're to do good to all men. But then it goes on and says a phrase, especially to the household of faith, especially the believers. Just like we're responsible to do good for, for everybody but our own family. We do some special things for them. We pay for their college education, not the neighbor kid, right? I mean, there's some extra things that we do, typically, uh, we, 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 if, if we're called to do the, uh, the college thing. Um, but the, the point is, is that we're to be devoted to one another in brotherly love, family kind of love, to get close. That means relationships. 
That doesn't mean just coming and looking at the back of people's heads, but that means at, at a church once a week. And that means building relationships with people, getting to know people, de- being devoted to brotherly love, taking the mask off, getting real, getting open, being together on a regular kind of basis. Very important. It talks about three ways to do this in this passage, and I'll outline that. But one thing it says is to seek to outdo each other in showing honor. The phrase there uh, is honor one another above yourselves. But the, 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 in the Greek, it, it talks about outdo each other. The literal word is outdo. Be competitive. You want to be competitive on something? Be competitive on this, on how you honor people. We just went, some of the, some of the men in the church went to an event yesterday, uh, eat meat and compete. You know, we kind of thing we did. We threw hatchets at each other. No, actually, we tried to catch. No, we did throw hatchets. We did that kind of stuff. None of our guys could hit hit anything with the hatchets. But anyway, we did good. We did have one of our guys that was in the competition. Where's Where's he at right now? Where's Scott? He was out. He's still out. He's still outside. He's still outside. But oh, there he is back there. Uh, well, we find out Mission Trails. You know, was this with a sister church? Mission Trails is, uh, does pretty good in uh, in competition. Especially we do good in the eating part of it. Scott is the best watermelon eater out of all those 50 guys that were there. And uh, he could put that quarter of a watermelon down in a minute 50. Is that what it was? And uh, it's pretty good. Uh, and uh, so we got the eaters anyway um, in our church. But eat and compete. But, you know, it's fun to compete in a lot of different kind of ways. But one thing the Bible says we compete on, compete on showing honor. Compete on encouraging, building people up. What our society does is just the opposite of that. What seems right to most people at your office or on the job site is what? cut people down around you, criticize them, bad talk. Isn't that what people do all the time? Listen to the conversation around the lunchroom and the, and, the, and the coffee break time. We're cutting down. But we as Christians, we are to build up. We are to honor. We are to encourage people. And another thing we are to do uh, to, for brotherly love is to contribute to the needs of God's people, the family of God. Contribute to their needs. Share with God's people who are in need. When a family member is hurting, Need something, is hungry, we help them. We take responsibility. We, we, we move in and we help that family member. We help to do that. Uh, our church, there's some people in our church that have had some need over the last few months. And there are people, in, many of you have really stepped up, and I want to commend you. I want to honor you. You've stepped up and you've helped them. You've given extra money. You've done things for them. You've brought them things. You've, you've uh, helped them get out of jobs. You've done things. And that's, that's right. That's the kind of thing, brotherly love, contributing, sacrificing ourselves for the needs of others. Another thing is to practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. That, that literally means to love the stranger, to practice hospitality. We think of things like having people over for dinner, and that's great. That's practicing hospitality. That's good to do. Uh, we think of having people in a home and opening a Bible study. But, you know, even in a worship service, we have an opportunity to practice hospitality, to love the stranger. Because, see, you know, at Mission Trails, there are many of you, and I could have you raise your hands in this situation, that uh, the many people come to Mission Trail that haven't been to church in years and years. Some 15, 20 years, 30, 30 years, or, or maybe they never went to church before. And they're going to come. We're going to do an outreach in the fall, uh, again, to kind of reach out to new people in the community as we move over to our new location uh, just in a few weeks. And uh, we're going to invite people. They'll mail her, and you'll be inviting your friends. We'll have visitors coming to our service. When a visitor comes to a church, somebody hadn't been to church in a long time, and they come to visit us, how do they feel? What are they thinking what were you thinking when you came the first time? Remember back. Think about that. What were you thinking? What are they going to do to me there, right? There's a fear. You wonder what goes on inside those 
churches, especially churches that meet in a gymnasium or whatever. You, you have, this, you have this, you, this wonder and this, ooh, what is going to go on? Maybe it's less, in, less fear in the gymnasium than over in the, in the stained glass. I'm not sure about that. But at least it's, but we, 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 they, they fear it. They want it. And when a visitor comes to visit the church, guess where they want to sit? Where do they want to sit? Anybody know? In the back. Why? Why would they want to sit in the back? The better seats in the front, you can see better. You can get spit on up here and all that kind of stuff. Why would you want to sit in the back? Close to the door. Why Why are they interested in close to the door? Huh? Maybe you don't have to talk to somebody? Hey, what, what if that pastor guy goes out here and finds over here and finds himself a rattlesnake and kind of brings out the rattlesnake and start holding up the rattlesnake? Start doing some weird stuff. All right? They want to be able to escape, don't they? If something really weird, they don't know what goes on in church, so they're afraid. And they want to escape. I want, I, I'm, I'm giving this illustration just in the sense that realize people come and, they have, and they're apprehensive about things. We need to love them and greet them. Just be friendly to them, not corner them and not badger them, not, but just love them and greet them and, and introduce them to each other, get a conversation, get to know them a little bit, and, and love them. Let them have the good seats. Let them have the seats they want. You're safe. You know us already. We know we're not going to pull out any snakes, so, you're not, so you move into these, these other seats. Let the back seats be for them. And... Uh, and work on that. But it's, it's we, we just we practice hospitality. Think about others. Think about how they feel and how we can help them to make their steps towards God. We are in a church that our goal is to make Jesus Christ accessible to people. People that don't know him can get to know him better. And we want to provide a friendly, loving, warm environment that people can check out the faith. They're not convinced right now. There's a lot of people out there that are interested in spiritual things, interested in God, but they're just not convinced that the Bible is really all true. They're not convinced that Jesus is really the Son of God. They just kind of don't know. They kind of, they don't believe in Buddha and Islam, but are they really, am I really a Christian? They're not sure yet, but they need to have a chance to come and to check it out, to meet real Christians, to learn the Bible, to learn it applies, and we need to provide them an environment for them to check it out so they can make that decision. So practice hospitality to them. A third thing, serve the Lord. It says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. The first phrase there, uh, never lacking in zeal. I like a different translation of that one a little bit better, the New American Standard Bible. It says, um, uh, not lacking behind in diligence. Not lacking behind. Be diligent. As you're serving the Lord, be diligent. Work hard. You know, it's interesting that the Bible ties loving God and loving others with hard work. That's, that's a kind of a new concept for a lot of people in our society these days. But we love God when we work hard, when we don't lag behind in zeal. When, you know, because love is not lazy. It's not. Love is not lazy. You know, there was something they used to call the Puritan work ethic. Well, you know, the Puritans may not have done everything right, but they had that right. They, they worked, they worked all the hard, they worked hard, they went after what they were doing. And that is an important thing. It's an important way to love. You know, it says in Scripture, Proverbs 18, in verse 9, it says, He who is slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. Very interesting. Slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. You see, why? Because what you're doing is you're, you're stealing. When you're slack in your work and somebody's paying you to do something, you're stealing from them when you're being slack, when you're doing a halfway job. You're, you're, you're taking it away. You're not doing what God wants. You're, 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 you're taking God's time that he has for you to do on earth to be productive, and you're wasting it. You're just kind of throwing it away. God wants us to learn 
how to be hard workers. I mean, when it's talking about slack, I don't know if you have anybody around your office. I'm, um, I'm sure none of you get slack at all in your lives when you're doing work. But uh, uh, maybe somebody else in your office does. And when they do that, and, you know, not us, uh, when they do it, you know, that boss asks them to do something, and they just kind of slander over real slowly to do it and kind of get just walking like and slow and saving their energy for after work, you know. Therefore, they're working, they're going slower. Or you ask, they ask him to do a job and they do it halfway. They just kind of go, go, go wash off the table or work. And they go over there and they do kind of halfway job. They don't move anything. They just kind of take off a few little things. Don't put any elbow grease in it. They don't do any, any work. They just kind of do it halfway and not well. And that's not being loving. I want you to tie in. That's not being loving. To God, he told us to work with all our heart. We're to work with our boss. We're to try to make our bosses successful and our, and our company successful. We're to work with all our heart. We're to learn how to work and to work with diligence, not lagging behind, not being slack. What we're doing, and that has to do with our job you're getting paid for. That has to do with any volunteer work you take. That has to, the, the things that, that, that you're doing is, is be a hard worker. Are you loving God the way that you work? Do you work in a way that really shows that you love God? That's loving without hypocrisy. That's the way to love, is to learn to work hard. And I know kids grow up and they play, 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 play. certain point, they have to start to move from play to work. <laughs> learn it. The faster you learn it, the more you develop that, the more joy you're going to have in your life, the more you're going to honor God. Work, hard work has many benefits. The day goes faster. You get promoted. You encourage the people around you. There's all kinds of things that, that happen. But God wants it done. It's a way to love him and to love others. And when you're talking about work, uh, it talks about, in this passage, it talks about several things, several attitudes that tie into our work, the way we do it. We're to work and serve with enthusiasm. It says um, in that thing, not lacking in spiritual fervor, but serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in, in, in affliction. Um, so work with enthusiasm, work with hope. Work with perseverance. Keep on. Be steadfast to go on and do what God would want you to do. I mean, think about it. To, to love people around you, you need to keep yourself to a certain degree up and after it and be enthusiastic in what you're doing. Because if you don't, you'll pull everybody else down. If you don't, we, we have some responsibility there, is to love, to keep your spiritual fervor, to keep up with things. And if you're not doing well, you see, what, what happens? Something goes wrong in our life, and what's our natural tendency? What's our habit? What do we normally go to? A pity party, right? Oh, poor me. You know, yeah, we get to feeling down. We get our pouting, and we just kind of start got bemoaning and start to go slower in our work and start to just kind of drag around, right? And that, that, that's a typical thing if we don't intentionally do something about it. But this is keep your spiritual fervor. Keep, keep up. Keep, work with enthusiasm. Have hope. Determine that you're going to do and, you're, and do a good job in what you're going to do and keep a good attitude in what you're doing. This is, this is practical stuff. This is important stuff for us. And, and we all get down. We all have things. We all have these discouragements that come in our life. But do you, what, do you, what do you do? Do you do something about it or you just kind of just give in to it? Do you fight it? Do you work against it? I know when I go through it, I mean, I, I, you know, there's several things going on in our lives right now. And uh, I get discouraged at times and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, one of the things I did just, I spent about eight hours. Remember Hero Bullock who was speaking here uh, a couple weeks ago? Uh, you know, I, I spent about eight hours with him the other day. Just talking through all kinds of things that I'm working on and decisions that are coming up for the church. And things in my life and in our marriage and in our, with our kids and our finances. I just 
asking them about stuff. Somebody go to for counsel for me to go to to get help. And there's, there's things you're going through that you, that you need. You, know, you need to have some people you can go to. You can get close. You can talk with about. You can get encouragement and help from and find those people and, and keep yourself up. Keep yourself going in the right direction. You're up and down, but don't just wallow in. Get the help you need. Do the thing. Keep yourself going. Have hope. Have perseverance when things are going, going wrong. It's loving to serve the Lord with diligence, energy, hope, and perseverance. That's part of loving God. Number four, love with devoted prayer. Love with devoted prayer. Love God by praying regularly. Love God by praying loving. He delights. God delights in the prayers of his people. He says be devoted to prayer. God likes it when you pray. He wants to interact with you. I mean, he knows what's in your heart. He knows, but he wants the interaction. He wants you expressing, and he wants to speak to you through the word of God. He wants the inter- interaction between you. He loves you. He wants that interaction. So pray. Be honest. Be open, as I talked about, like in the Psalms. Pray for the people in your life. You make a difference when you pray for people that are in your life, people you love, your family members. It makes a difference when you pray for them. You become a spiritual covering for them. Men, you have a special responsibility to be a spiritual covering for your wife and for your family. You need to pray for them. You need to, you need to trust God for them. Parents, mothers have a special responsibility for their children. Pray for them. Encourage them. It's an important thing to do. If for no other reason, men, if for no other reason, stay right with God and walk with Jesus Christ so you can pray for your family members, so you can pray for your wife and for your kids because there is an evil one out there that wants to eat them alive. And you need to pray for them. And, you're, you're, it, it, and it, it is possible to, to, to help them. And it does help and does work on those. So pray for people in your lives. I want to summarize what we talked about with this concept. Is that we do whatever makes sense to us. You came to church today because it made sense to you to come to church today. I don't know for whatever reason, whatever motivation, but it made sense to you, so you came. Some people... It didn't make sense to them. They did something else. But it made sense to you to do this. And now, question I want to ask you with, and I want to end up with this, is this. Is what if what makes sense to you does not square with the Scripture? What if what makes sense to you, the way that you operate, does not fit with what the Bible says you should do? You know, what if it makes, what if it makes sense to you to be lazy at work? How do you deal with that? What if it makes sense to you to have the pity parties? In my situation, that just makes sense to me to have that. And you want to just go and you want to go there and wallow. What if that makes sense to you? What do you do about that? What if it makes sense to you to cut people down rather than honor them and build them up? What if it makes sense to you to not be friendly to a new person that comes to the church or into your neighborhood? You're not practicing. It doesn't make sense to you to be hospitable. I'm shy. I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm just going to do my own thing. If it, what is it? Then I would say, if those things don't make sense to you, then what Scripture says to do, we just looked at the passage that said to do that. If those things don't, man, don't, don't make sense to you, then repent. Change your thinking. The word repent means change your thinking. Change your thinking. If something is right doesn't make sense to you, change your thinking so that what is right makes sense to you. Does that make sense? <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's just like you, you, you need to work with yourself. You need to be honest with yourself. Is, is my life lining up with the Scripture? And if it's not, where well, I'm not doing what the Scripture wants me to do, then I need to repent. I need to change my thinking. I need to have God to retool me 
and to help me to think the way he wants me to think. This is what Christian maturity is all about. The renewing of the mind and changing of life so that what makes sense to you, honesty, integrity, hard work, protecting those you love, praying for those you love, being hospitable to friends, all these things we talked about. Those things, if you're not doing them, you're not doing them because they don't make sense to you. And they don't make sense to you because you haven't been in the book enough. You haven't asked the questions. You haven't dealt with it. You, and so you're not doing it because you do what makes sense to you. Everybody does what makes sense to them. So change. Learn to get God's word in your life to such a degree that what makes sense to you, what really feels like the best thing to do and what you choose to do is what God's word says to do. And where it's not, then uh, uh, you know, and, and work, work, work towards that. Do what makes, you're going to do what makes sense to you. So make sure that what makes sense to you is what God is saying to do. Let's, uh, let's look at this prayer uh, that's on your outline there, and I guess it's on the screen too. Something you can pray related to this, habits of a loving heart. Lord, develop in me the habit of loving with sincere love. Strengthen me with the integrity to oppose evil and to live right. Help me develop close relationships with the people in my church and to practically love them. Give me the grace to serve you with wholehearted, steadfast diligence. Teach me how to pray for those that I love. I hope uh, you prayed those things. I hope you're praying those things that you would learn how to love because, you know, what life is all about is love. The number one thing God wants you to do is to love him with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second thing is very important too. Love your neighbors yourself, those who are near to you. Love is what it's all about. God has us here to learn how to love. Make it the habit of your life. Now, some of you may be here that don't know Jesus Christ. You've never committed your life to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Maybe you've been around it. Maybe you know some people who are Christians, but you haven't made the decision yourself. And if you want to do that, Jesus is waiting. He's knocking at the door of your heart. He wants to come into your life. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. He forgave your sins as you commit your life to him. His blood was shed for you. And he can come into your life. He rose again from the dead after dying on the cross. He's alive today. He can come into your life. You make a decision, though. You decide. Jesus, I want you to be boss. I want you to be Lord. I want you to determine for me what is good and right. I want to let you be the boss of my life and repent from self-direction to God's direction. Let's pray a prayer. If if that's your your situation, let's pray a prayer related to that. Lord Jesus, I want to pray that if there's someone here that doesn't know you, that they would receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. They'd accept him into their life to forgive their sins. They'd pray a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I need you. I open the door of my life. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Forgive me based on your death on the cross. Thank you that you rose again, that you can come into my life. And I submit my life to you. And I thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to just take a moment. There's going to be a little bit of music. You're going to be jotting down any any comments on the cards. uh, And just to be praying about how this applies to you. Think in terms of what was said here. Was there one thing in this message that applies to you? Write it down. Think about it. Be a doer of God's word. And take a moment uh, to do that as we just kind of play some music here. And now I'll be back up to the announcements in a second.